what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Foot Candle Films. This is going to be our little abbreviated version of Foot Candle Films, not the full experience. This is more of the EP version of the <laughs> traditional long play LP version of our show. I'm Alan, and this is Chris Hello alongside guys me. And ladies. You doing okay? I'm doing well. We got a summer weekend to get to, man. That's what it is. That's, that's it's Friday true. afternoon. You know, we don't <laughs> want to be here any longer than we need to be here. Let's just kind of knock out a quick one and give the people what they want and let's move on. And what we can do is go back to our last recording and record a review for this one. Yes. And then we could just have already leave. Right we need now. to go back and tell our past selves to go to ahead, go ahead and, and record this episode so it saves us and everybody's happy and great and works perfect. Exactly. That's a perfect little segue into our main review for this as we're going to discuss the feature film X-Men Days of Future Past, followed by a couple quick news items and a quick recommendation. Again, the key message here is quick. We've got a <laughs> limited time schedule. So, Chris, let's just jump right into our main review, which is the film X-Men Days of Future Past. Let's do it. Are we destined to destroy each other? Or can we change who we are and unite? Is the future truly set? Mutants, we now find ourselves on the edge of extinction. You'll need to go into the past to end this war before it ever begins. Chris, I believe if we go back, and I don't recall the episode number or title, but I believe I'm on record as saying, when you asked me, I said, you know, not terribly excited about this film. Even though I am a superhero guy, I like the superhero movies, I like the Marvel Universe, even the expanded universe. But I think when we talked about this film, I just said, you know, it looks like it's got way too many people in it. Hmm. Way too many characters. I believe I said that. If I didn't say that on show, I said that in a public forum somewhere. I, I, I think he might have said it yeah. on the show, yeah. And in general, the X-Men franchise has not been my favorite. I thought the films have overall been somewhat lackluster, okay. although I really did like X-Men First Class, the one that came out right before this one. And I think we right before we started doing this show, because it came out, I think... It's probably about right. Yeah. And I, I'm a big fan of that movie. I think that movie set the tone and everything just right. Gotcha. So here we have the latest installment which I believe is like the sixth or seventh movie of the whole X-Men universe when you count the Wolverine movies in there too. X-Men Days of Future Past. This is based on a 1981 two-issue story in the X-Men comics. Okay. Where basically in the comics, uh, Kitty Pride, I believe, went back in time because the future for the X-Men was not very good. They were being hunted down by these giant robot sentinels. Uh, it was just a really bleak future. So she actually went back to the past to try to help the current X-Men stop something from happening okay. so that it wouldn't happen in the future. Basically, that's the kind of idea. And I believe, or 
or maybe I'm confused. Maybe she went to the future and did something. Anyway, so you haven't read the original source. Material. It's been a long time, but you did. I did. At one point. Okay. And it's all about time travel and trying to stop something from happening in the past. So it doesn't affect the future negatively and all that. Gotcha. So they basically have adapted this two issue story into this movie. A lot of differences in it, but the same general conceit, the future's bad. Go back to the past to stop the future from being bad. That's in a nutshell. Okay. Uh, our protagonist this time around, though, is Mr. Hugh Jackman, Wolverine, being the one being sent back in time. But we have the blending of all of the X-Men characters from all the movies that they've done so far. You've got Patrick Stewart as Professor X, Ian McKellen as Magneto. They're playing the old guys from the original <laughs> movies. Right. Hugh Jackman is kind of the go-between where he's both in the old movies, but of course he's been doing his own solo movies as well. And then you've got James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender playing... Charles Xavier and Eric, Eric Lynchur, who is Magneto in their younger days back in the seventies. Gotcha. Whew. Just even just describing this movie is exhausting. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot of characters. You've got the old, you've got the new, there's time travel, there's flipping between timelines. Right. And the whole goal is to stop mystique played by Miss Jennifer Lawrence from assassinating somebody that the future X-Men know by assassinating him will actually be really, really bad for everybody in the future. So their goal is to stop her from assassinating this guy. Gotcha. Did I sum it up pretty good? Yeah. Because yeah. really, it seems more complicated than the way I just described it there. Okay. <laughs> so let me just toss it over to you. This is a very complex story with a lot of characters. I, my gut feel for you would be is that you probably found this movie overdone and way too much going on. That's just my gut feel for Mr. Chris Fry, how I know you as a moviegoer. Tell me how right or wrong I am on that. Actually, I, I liked this movie. Did and you? I didn't, I didn't feel like there was too much going on. Now, I will say, in the beginning, I've seen all the X-Men movies, except okay. for the one Origins thing that we talked about that maybe basically the one, everybody uh, X-Men Oregon, Origins Wolverine, Wolverine right. which was probably the worst movie of the whole series. Right. So yeah. I haven't seen that one. Okay. But outside of that, I've seen all the other ones, and I, like you, I liked First Class. In the opening minutes of this movie, I felt like I should have gone back and were, watched First Class before walking into the theater mm. because I was like, whoa, this is way above my head. There's way too much going on, like you said. And I was like, mm. too many characters. I have no idea who they are, but I, like they're doing important things. So I feel, I feel dumb. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I feel, you know, that's a problem for me because I like to feel like I know what's going on. But as soon as, you know, and they try to explain things really quickly and then Wolverine's launched into the past. And then I kind of was able to, things kind of settled down for me and I was able to follow as much as I needed to. And then other things kind of slowly fell into place as the plot developed. Okay. And I was able to go along for the ride and enjoy it. So do you credit Brian Singer as a director for being able to make such a complex story and all the characters work for you? Because I'm, I'm with you, actually, as, as nervous as I was going into this film about how many characters and all the convoluted storyline, I found it relatively easy to follow. And actually, I didn't feel it was numbing in any way, <laughs> like a lot of other Amazing Spider-Man 2, for example. Right. Like, it just didn't have that same overpacked, trying to do too much feel to it. Well, and I think, I, you know, I, I'll say Brian Singer did a good job. And I think it's a lot of in the script. And I guess the original source material gave the ideas for this to even happen. Mm -hmm. From what you're telling me, though, it's amazing to me that Wolverine is the 
the central figure in this, whereas in the comic book, I guess he wasn't. So no. that to be able to change it that much, but maintain well, integrity and make it make sense to me is, is a good thing. Well, do you hinge an entire movie on Hugh Jackman or, or do you, or, or do you know? <laughs> right, exactly. So it's, I think they found ways to justify having Mr. Jackman be our main character between the two storylines. So was it his idea to have the nude scene? Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, that, that was a, I was like, really? It was a little, Yeah. <laughs> I guess, you know, if it's a date movie, the ladies in the audience are like, yay. Yeah, so the, I guess. But I guess. Yeah. yeah, that was ridiculous. Well, let me, let me just kind of say, too, I did like this movie as well. Okay. Uh, I actually was pleasantly surprised because I did expect to go into it and just be just overrun with stuff. Because even the trailer just gives me a headache seeing all the characters <laughs> and trying to follow what's going to happen. Sure. And time travel in general just really freaks me out. I just, I cannot wrap my head around I'm thinking too much about, well, by doing this, doesn't Don't this make do this, this happen in the right. in the future? And all that starts to unravel. They actually handled it fairly well. I mean, it actually kind of all made sense what was happening. Um, yeah, seems to. But I will say this. I, um, I like the way that this film did a great job, and we're not going to spoil anything here, but it did kind of tidy up everything at the end. It's like, okay, we're going to give you, this is what the future storyline now looks like. Mm-hmm. And here's what the older storyline looks like. So they basically have set up two storylines that they could make movies off of going forward. Well, that's an interesting question, seeing as how the movie ends without spoiling anything. I'm kind of curious how they will proceed. And me too. Um, because, well, actually, I know, so I'll tell you in a minute. Oh, well, they, mm-hmm. The original movies prior to this reboot, um, you know, they were good, but they were good. I think if I watch them now, they seem very kind of silly mm-hmm. and kind of outdated looking. And that kind of concerned me because I like both this movie and First Class, but the way this movie wrapped up. Mm-hmm. It made it feel like of, they were going to go back and follow the original crew correct. again, which I'll go ahead and tell you. And now, this that is not a spoiler because this is out there in the news and it's already talking about it. Brian Singer is going to be directing the next one. Okay. It's called X-Men Apocalypse or Age of Apocalypse. <laughs> Yeah, which is another storyline that okay. I'm actually kind of familiar with. And okay. if you watch all the way through the end of the credits, the character that is at the very end of the credits is Apocalypse. That is the one who's going to come back and be the bad guy. Okay. My understanding is that it's going to mainly be. Have the, I told you how sick I am at those credit sequences? Like, no, but I we're going to talk. to get up and walk out mm-hmm. because of it. But we stay out. We we're going to talk about it in a minute. Actually, okay. that's my little quick news discussion is right. the post credit stingers, right. they call them. Okay. But it sounds like what they're going to do in the next movie is follow the younger X-Men more. Oh, good. However, oh, no. the future X-Men are also somehow involved, which that's what gave me the groan as well. Because yeah. like, you know, I kind of liked if, if, cool this was, one movie. if this was like sunsetting the older crowd, right. it was a perfect ending right. for them. Let them cast off into the sunset and let us follow the, new, the, the younger guys more. And I think they're primarily going to do that, but I don't think they're quite ready to let go of uh, well, Ian McKellen and Patrick and Stewart, Patrick Stewart and, and Hugh Jackman. Jackman I don't have a problem with. And maybe, I don't know why, maybe just him as an actor. Maybe I, have, I, I don't know. But the other two, they were good in the early movies. But now, I mean... They're showing their age. I mean, yeah, it, and it's, it's, you it's, know, it's, it is what it is. And um, when you're talking about a comic book movie that involves a lot of action... You know, you got to yeah. have younger dudes. I'm kind of with you. I really, and I thought they were good when they were in the movies originally, but now how seeing McAvoy Michael and Fassbender, yeah, they which, just like they play those characters 
to me, so much better. Not that the other ones were bad, but like they fit them even more. I agree. You know, I, I completely I agree. I I desperately enjoyed more the moments with Fassbender and McAvoy in that past timeline so much more than I did the Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen, Halle Berry future right. timeline. And I think it's because I just enjoyed those characters so much more. I enjoyed those actors so sure. much more watching. Sure. Um, yeah, I was gonna say McAvoy and Fassbender. Everything they're in, especially there's a there's a scene in an airplane. In an airplane. <laughs> wow, that scene was awesome. That was That's a good. really good scene. I will say, Quicksilver, the uh, fast guy running around, had a really impressive um, technical scene. Yes, that I think was more. I mean, it's just fascinating to watch and try to figure out how they did this. But him basically helping with a breakout of Magneto from a cell underneath the Pentagon. He obviously is super fast based on his name. But they did a really interesting sequence where you're able to see him moving around in his real time where everybody else is at a fraction speed. And, I, and it's just it's really cool to watch. I want to comment on that, too, because I like that. And often in movies like this, mm-hmm. I come down on things being funny. Yeah. Like in the Spider-Man 2 movie, I came down and I hated how they played uh, Itsy Bitsy Spider at one point. Yeah. Electra like bounces Spider-Man around and plays us. I'm like, I just it takes me out of the moment. I just don't like it because, you know, basically they're trying to kill each other and he does this. So I just... I don't like it. I yeah, don't like it. Sure. But this is an example of humor in the movie that I thought worked well. And it worked I didn't extremely mind it. And well. it was one of my favorite moments of the movie. Well, the reason it was funny is because, you know, McAvoy and Fassbender playing our two leads are deathly serious in what they're doing and the roles they're playing and their mission and everything. They bring in a character that has no emotional connection to what they're trying to do. True. He just wants to have something exciting and daring and fun to do. Right. And they give him a chance to do that and he has a blast with it. But again, it doesn't make the movie funny. It doesn't lighten the movie. It's just you're watching something for like a five minute period of time. You're following this character who doesn't care about the mutant race and he doesn't care about the future and all this other stuff. He just wants to have a blast. He wants to break into the He Pentagon. wants to do something risky and daring and have <laughs> right. fun doing it. And he gets to do it. Yeah. And he puts on the headphones and he's listening to Jim Croce, which you could maybe groan at the choice of the song a little bit, oh, but I think it was funny. It was, it was cool. Well, and, uh, I was hoping the whole time I saw him wear a Pink Floyd shirt, mm-hmm. and I was hoping that he would be listening to Time, as oh. he, which is a song off that album. Yeah. But uh, you were telling me. <laughs> yeah, we found out there was a goof. This is, I did not come up with this on my own. I had to read about this. But uh, the Dark Dark Side of the Moon album did not come out until March 1973. Okay. The Paris Peace Accords happened. No, I'm sorry. It yeah, it happened in January of 1973, okay. three months before that album came out. This movie takes place right before the Paris Peace Accords. Gotcha. So Quicksilver, unless he went to the future and saw how <laughs> awesome a mo- uh, an album Dark Side of the Moon was gotcha. and got a T-shirt and brought it and back, back. Okay. I don't know how he would have been wearing that. But anyway, that's just geek aside there for a moment. Um, huh. Anything else about the movie you want to call out as, as uh, that you enjoyed? Because I do have a couple nitpicky things that kind of rankled me a little bit. Uh, you know, other than the the things that bothered me were just in the beginning, I felt like it was a little rushed with all the characters, but I, it played out and it ended up okay. Well, what it is, basically, so, they did throw a lot of characters at you, but they made it pretty clear that you really didn't have to know much about them after a while. You just knew that there were mutants in the future with cool powers, and that's all you really need to know. And I, I will say that it's not negative of this film, but I'm concerned about, I wish that they could just end it. 
<laughs> on no, they're not going to do that. But I know they're not. Because this one made a ton, ton of it's, money it's last week. But like, because I'm, as we mentioned, I'm concerned about where it's going. Yeah, me too. So. Uh, I will say some things that kind of bother me a bit. Okay. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence, I still think is terribly miscast in her role here. I actually yeah. think Rebecca Rom- Roman Stamos did a better job in the really? original film. Oh yeah. Huh. I just don't feel like Jennifer Lawrence is mystique. Um, well. And in this movie, I felt like she was kind of shoehorned in. Hmm. Um, just to play off her name and her status, you know, when there's, there's other ways they could have got around this, you know, I think, I think, let me, let me talk about that. Cause actually mm-hmm. I'll, I'll back you up on that. I think I like her as an actress, but I think the problem is mystique seems like she's kind of like a swimsuit model. Yeah. And that's kind of Rebecca Stamos. Like that yes. was her whole thing. It's like, she was kind of a model person, you know, she doesn't really say a lot, but you know, she slinks around. And so, They've got Jennifer Lawrence, who, yes, she's female. Yes, she's attractive. But she is an actress. Yeah. Then she can, like, and so that's the problem is she's so busy acting, she can't play the, like, slinky, sexy nature of Mystique. Yeah, I just didn't feel like she, I I didn't feel like she worked in first class. I I didn't feel like she worked here either. So that's, that's still a little bit of a frustration for me. I already mentioned a little bit about I'd much rather follow the younger versions than the older versions. And that's more of a. I'm glad it wasn't lopsided the other direction where we spent more time with the older crowd and less with the younger. I'm glad McAvoy and Fassbender got the most screen time and seeing them actually work with Jackman, I thought was pretty good. I actually liked the three of them, their dynamic, the few scenes they had together. Sure. I thought really, really well as well. Overall action I thought was well done. I mean, normally these kind of movies, I, I normally criticize the over CGI use and all that. I really didn't feel that way with the action scenes here. I thought they were really competently paced. I thought they were well shot. I had, didn't have any problem following what was going on. Right. Um, it was Which well you done. Could have easily done. Absolutely. But, yeah. Absolutely. Sure. Especially as they got towards the end and things started to get a little amped up. Uh, they still kept it very modest and in check and easy to follow. I thought I will say, I don't think, I think films ought to have a rule that nobody should be allowed to impersonate Richard Nixon. <laughs> Because nobody can seem to do it right. Okay. I'm sorry. They had a Richard Nixon performer, somebody playing that part, and he looked cartoonish. And that just brought me out of the movie pretty quick. So So you had a problem with John Cusack and uh, the butler as well? Or did you actually like that one? I like John Cusack, so I gave him a pass. But still, (laughs) it wasn't Richard Nixon. Everybody does a caricature when they try to do Richard Nixon, and it just doesn't work. So, so a couple little little hiccups there for me. Uh, You know, I... I kind of wish, I kind of wish the older timeline had gotten retired at the end of the film, and it very well could have. But I know, unfortunately, like I said, that I know the next film is still going to involve them a little bit. So mm-hmm. I kind of wish they'd tighten that bow up and let them drift off. Sure. Um, and here's my only other thing, Chris. This is more of a bigger question about the series in general. As much as I liked First Class, mm-hmm. First Class was a setting up the pieces. Setting up this new team, setting up this new dynamic between Professor X and Magneto. And, you know, they're good friends until close to the end. And then they have to go separate ways. They arrive at the mansion and say, hey, let's set up a school here. And it's like a fresh start. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the Batman Begins of (laughs) X-Men. But then the very next film where we get to see these great characters, years have passed. And they're already just, you know, the the mansion's run down. Professor X is strung out on drugs. Everybody's (laughs) dead or disbanded. It's like, really? It's like. Could we not have had one more movie with that crew to really flesh out these characters and then come to this movie and be like, okay, now this kind of comes full circle. And I feel like there's a lot of franchises that are doing this. And that's a little bit of my 
I don't want to get too much on a soapbox, but kind of skipping out a lot of character development just to get to the next big film. Hmm. Uh, Star Trek, the new Star Trek series did this as well, where I thought the, uh, the first one that J.J. Abrams did did a great setting up the scene, but then the very next movie we get, uh, Kirk's already being decommissioned off the Enterprise. They're already being scattered about. They haven't even gone on any big exploration out in space yet. Okay. It's like, you know, I feel like they're just, these franchises are skipping too quickly to the next big event movie instead of letting these characters develop naturally through a film series. Hmm. Does that make sense? It, it does. Um, I didn't really see it with Star Trek. Um, I can, I can, I can see it with X-Men. I definitely have that feeling about what they did with Spider-Man. Oh, absolutely. That's they, another one. Yeah, absolutely. That, they skipped way too far ahead. About that, yeah. And it's like, you just set the character up and now you're already knocking them down in the next movie or, or, or changing the gears. Right. Why not have that second movie? Let them breathe a little bit. Let them have an adventure. Let them do something. Then you come to these big life shattering events. <laughs> Cause honestly, days of future past shows our newest X-Men in a whole different place than when we saw them at the end of first class. Right. And I just, I was actually kind of mad when I saw that. Cause I'm like, Oh man, we didn't get that movie to really see them grow and become a team. And like, go on an adventure all of a sudden now they've already disbanded and broken down and everything else that's just a frustration to me but you know okay that's it's a bigger picture i have issue i have with movies sure franchises these days hmm. anything else you want to say or things you like disliked about the movie uh no i was i was surprised at how much i liked it um yeah. i guess if we're gonna our new promise to the listeners is that mm-hmm. we're going to do a letterbox score mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give it four i'm stars. giving it four yeah. as well i think it was a four-star movie for me i you know i enjoyed it um i'm not singing its praises from the rooftops i didn't love it you know it's not one of my absolute favorites but sure. I, I don't like it quite as much as first class i think for, first class was also a four-star movie for me okay. it's just a, sh- a shade behind first class but really close <laughs> so okay, okay. Good deal. So that's X-Men Days of Future Past. It made tons of money at the box office last weekend, so I'm sure it'll be around for a little while. Probably. Um, so I encourage you to check it out if you have any interest in the franchise. This is one of the better films of this whole franchise I think they've put out. So, uh, And if nothing else, the, the performances of McAvoy and, and uh, Fassbender are good. still just so much fun to watch. So Absolutely. Good stuff. All right. When we come back, we're just going to hit a couple really quick news items and a recommendation to close out the show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Foot Candle Films here in just a moment. Baseball is back, and the Hickory Crawdads have an exciting season ahead. Join the dads for weekly promotions such as Dollar Day, Fireworks Fridays, and of course, Thirsty Thursday. The Crawdads will also host the South Atlantic League All-Star Game on June 17th. Regular season and all-star game tickets are now on sale and available at the Crawdads box office or hickorycrawdads.com. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films, the abbreviated version today as we knock through a few news items after having just discussed the film X-Men Days of Future Past. Chris, um, you brought up something in the, in the review that you said, I get the sense that you're frustrated by to some degree. Yes. It's the idea of what's called stingers. And these are the little clips that they show either midway through the credits or at the end of the credits that honestly, they've been doing this for a while with some movies, but it really started Super getting, it started getting kind of big um, with the first Iron Man movie. Okay. Do you recall that stinger by chance? That was the one uh, where we first got introduced to Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury, okay. telling Iron Man basically there's an Avengers there's be coming, initiative. Yeah. yeah, that was really 
movies had been doing this kind of stuff occasionally, sporadically for a while, but really that was the first one where they said, this is now a tradition. We're doing this every movie. And since then, just about every big blockbuster superhero movie is doing it in some form. And it, yeah, I just, I find it irritating. <laughs> well, I'll say, let's talk about that. What, what irritates you about that? Well, I feel like it's needless advertising to try to get you excited. You know, the movies are long enough. They're like two hours, whatever. And if the movie's good, great. Let the credits come on. Basically, I feel like if people want to stay and watch the credits, which they should, a lot of people are involved in making a movie, they should stay because they actually want to watch the credits. Not they're just sitting there, biding their time, checking their cell phone, so they can see whatever teaser it is for a movie that's going to be coming out two or three years from now. They just, it's like, they should be patient. And, you know, I don't like seeing previews, so I don't really want to see a teaser either because it's like, if it's cool, it'll be cool three years from now. Just let it be its own entity. It doesn't have to, like, ruin it or show me, like, a useless throwaway throwaway shot. All right. So. I see your point. I will <laughs> offer a counterpoint. Okay. Uh, because, actually, you said something I thought was very important. Uh, people do not watch credits. And I think that's why they started doing this kind of well, to make people sit my, and stuff. Yeah. My Maybe. thing is... I like it when people sit through the credits. I know even sometimes, unless it's a really horrible movie, I'm just waiting <laughs> to get out of the theater for. I really think, you know, people, yeah, it's like, it's like clapping when this, it's like on a theater play when the performers come back on stage to take their little bow, their encore bow, and everybody claps for them. It's like, that's your chance to recognize everybody who is involved in the play. And, you know, I, I wish more people watched the credits. So in a way, even though some of these post-credit sequences are annoying to me and some of them don't really... They're not really worth the time that they're there. If it causes people to stay an extra five minutes to watch the credits or at least sit through the credits, I'm all for it. Hmm. Now, I will say some are better than others. I think some I can tell when they're basically just trying to find a reason to have these credit sequences. Okay. What would an example of those be? Well, I think the worst, the worst one actually just happened recently, and that was the amazing Spider Man two. That's where they showed the X Men thing. Yes. Right? Which yeah. was stupid. Okay. Yes. If you're going to show as a post-credit sequence a couple minutes from a completely unrelated movie, that's dumb. Okay, that's just you're Ag- just agreed commercializing the thing money at that grab. point. Absolutely, huge money grab. It's like, oh my gosh, we don't have anything to put in our credits. Oh, let's promote a different movie, <laughs> and that's what they did for like a three-minute scene, which was just ridiculous. So that that's frustrating, but. You know, I think some of the ones that Marvel's done have been fun. Probably a little more fun for me because I'm a little deeper in that universe. I know some of these little backstories and characters that they're bringing up. Um, can I run off for you real quick? There's a website that I found that I thought was interesting on Mediastinger.com. Okay. And what they did is they compiled a list of the top 100 wow. best stingers, which the fact that there's over 100 of them. <laughs> Tells you something. Makes me think I probably missed a few. Yeah. You know what? My life's been okay. Well, the number (laughs) one that was brought up um, as the best movie with Stingers was The Avengers. And if you recall, that was one of them was you got to meet Thanos, who is going to be a big villain in the future. He's out flirting in space and he's talking to the alien race. And then the other one is them sitting in that little restaurant eating the shawarma at the end of the whole battle. Okay. So that's, I know, chess. Chess Oil is joining us as a studio audience. He's shaking his head in disagreement. So I'm just saying what the, what the ratings tell me. That's okay. all. I'm, I'm not judging. I'm just reporting. Okay. Um, the second one they had listed, which I thought was interesting because I've never seen this film, was The Hangover Part 3. Supposedly they say the, there's an extra scene during the credits. 
I never saw part three. No. Actually, I never saw part two either. Neither um, did I. So I can't attest to it, but whatever. Huh. I'm not going to run through all the rest, but basically it's Iron Man 3, Fast and the Furious 6, The Wolverine, <laughs> Captain America Winter Soldier, Pacific Rim, and then it goes on with all the big blockbusters. One that I thought crept in there I thought was interesting, did you, did you ever see the movie The Grey with Liam Neeson? Yes. I, I haven't finished that movie. I saw the first half and just never got around to watching the end of it, but supposedly there's an extra scene after the credits. Really? Yeah, and it got rated as the number nine like highest rated one. Hmm. So that's an interesting one to me, I thought. Now, at the bottom of the 100 list, supposedly the film Jack and Jill, the Adam Sandler movie that got really, really panned pretty bad, and I didn't come anywhere near watching, supposedly had the 100th best stinger at the end of the credits. Wow. Uh, The Blind Side supposedly had something during the credits. Yeah. A lot of these movies, I think we just shut them off when the credits start. We don't even think right. about it, but a lot of these actually had stuff afterwards. Huh. Um, what's another one? Um, That's crazy to think about those. having. Oh, I got excited for a second because I saw The Karate Kid was on this list, but it's the 2010 version, which I didn't see. Uh-oh. So uh, Jackie Chan and... Napoleon Dynamite had a scene after the credits. I don't remember that. Zombieland had one after the credits. Hmm. So... It's been going on a lot longer than just the Marvel movies, but I think the Marvel films have kind of solidified it as a tradition now and an expectation. Right. Yeah, there's a, yeah, there's definitely an expectation to it. Well, it's funny. After watching X-Men, we stuck around, uh, the, the guys I was with, we stuck around to see, because I knew there was something after the credits. Maybe <laughs> 10 people in the audience stuck around. But when the, this particular sequence played, which if you don't know anything about the comics, it doesn't make any sense to anybody. Correct. It made no sense to me. Exactly. The guy right behind us, as soon as that ending credit ended, he's like, what the hell? (laughs) He's like, I thought it was going to tease the Avengers, too. And I'm like, I wanted to turn around and say, well, you know, the Avengers are actually owned by Marvel Studios. This is by 20th Century Fox, and so they don't really commingle, but whatever. (laughs) I didn't want to be that guy. Right. Um, So anyway, Stingers, you're against them. I feel like there's at least a side value to having them, so... I want as much money as I can get, as much movie as I can get for my money. And if that well, means me sticking around through the credits and getting an extra two-minute scene, I'm okay with that. I think I think I just want to, at that point, I, I want to just go online. I want to know that there was something. I'll just go online and watch them and be like, oh, okay. Well, you could do that anyway. Right, and that's what I apparently need to okay. do. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'll sit through the credits, and the moment the stinger starts, I'll get up and walk out. Yeah. And be like, All right. Okay, I'm done. So media stingers, movie stingers, uh, that's kind of our take on it there. So I don't think they're going to go anywhere because I think audiences, there's a, a, a big uh, core group of audience uh, fans of these franchises that want to see those and want to be teased for the next film. It's kind of like the coming next issue in the old comic book world. So mm. I think that's a lot of what we got going there. Got you. All right. Chris, did you have anything else news wise to throw out? I know we're, we're keeping this episode short, so we're going to breeze through, but anything you think of importance we need to cover here? Well, um, I don't know importance, but uh, I was just going to throw out Ant-Man. How familiar are you with Ant-Man? Um, pretty familiar. And are I know you? the deal with that. So, okay. um, so how, so what the deal, they announced that, uh, Edgar Wright, who was going to be directing it, mm-hmm. had been writing it, like had been involved with it since like 2006 Yep, is now like, Gone. I'm I'm gone. He he Um, walked off the project. Whereas Paul Rudd, who I guess is going to play 
Mr. Paul Man? Rudd is going to play Ant Man. Yes. He's still involved at this moment. Yes. So uh, how do you how do you feel about the changing of the guard? Mm. And would you have liked to see an Edgar Wright who did things like Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead? Would you have liked to see him direct? Oh, absolutely. Ant-Man. I was terribly excited. The only reason I was excited about that movie is Edgar Wright okay. directing it and writing it. Um, to think getting him into that superhero world, I thought would be fascinating and fun to see happen. So I'm disappointed by it. And actually it's painting a picture that I think is a little interesting. Supposedly there are a lot of big name directors who have been getting frustrating, frustrated with Marvel studios. Really? Supposedly Kenneth Branagh did not have a good relationship. Right. He did Thor one. Didn't do Thor didn't two. Didn't do Thor two. And it sounded like it was kind of a very tumultuous relationship from what I read. You know, it's all rumor hearsay sure. things, but Supposedly that did not go well. Marvel either he felt like was interfering too much or Hmm. supposedly the case with Edgar Wright is Edgar's people supposedly have said that Marvel Studios forced rewrites of his script without him being involved with it. And he just said, I'm I'm not going to deal with that. Right. Um, Ed Norton, who I know supposedly Ed Norton's got a pretty (laughs) temptuous relationship with a lot of uh, producers and directors anyway. Right. But when he did the Incredible Hulk many years ago, supposedly it was very frustrating working with Marvel on both sides. So I'm so curious about that. He didn't. And then Mark Ruffalo came for mm-hmm. the Avengers. Right? Yeah. They replace them pretty quick. If I don't, if they don't have a good relationship there. So hmm. it does make you wonder, is, is there something else going on with this studio that's causing some of these relationships to get a little more heated? Hmm. Um, I don't know. Or a little more interference than maybe these directors won't from the studio. Be very interesting to see. Now, just for clarification, for our listeners and for me, because I'm not a Marvel person, Ant-Man, part of the Avengers, not part of the Avengers? He is. Yeah, okay. actually, he was one of the original, or pretty close to the, one of the original Avengers. So is that character supposed to be in the Avengers movie? The next I don't Avengers believe so. Movie? No. No. Okay. My understanding is they're keeping him separate for a while, but he's in the same universe, just okay. off on his own side thing. Supposedly, if the timeline doesn't get disrupted, which supposedly it's not going to be, July 5th, 2015 is when Ant-Man's supposed to come mm-hmm. out. And supposedly everything is still Well, what if, if you really want me to get geeky about it? <laughs> Michael Douglas is going to be in the film also. Oh, really? Michael Douglas is playing the character who in the comics was the original Ant-Man back in the 60s. Okay. Part of the original Avengers. Huh. Paul Rudd is playing the second person to become Ant-Man, which again, in the comics, I think there's been three. Okay. So hmm. they're supposed to both be in the movie. It's kind of a generational thing, it sounds like. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But again, with Edgar Wright gone, I don't know. <laughs> now, granted, they bring in good talent for these movies. I mean, and even when they bring in people that don't seem like they would be good film directors, namely the directors who did the Captain America Winter Soldier movie, which turned out to be a pretty good movie. Yeah. And those guys were like TV show directors. Right. So either Marvel's got a good knack for landing good talent or finding good talent so far. The hopes would be is they're still going to put somebody good on each of their projects. But at some point, you got to wonder if they're burning some bridges with some of these directors, that's obviously going to catch up at some point. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Interesting. Wow. We've just been an all comic book show today. I know. Yeah. That's why I thought I'd throw that one out. That's good. That's all right. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, do we have recommendations to share? This is where we normally just go into a kind of an online recommendation of films we think you ought to check out or rent or, 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 or watch that maybe you overlooked or uh, – just we want to call back to your attention. Chris, you got anything for us? Yeah, uh, there's a documentary I watched recently, and it's uh, about filmmaker John Milius, which the name did not immediately mean anything to me. Um, but it came up on Netflix, and I was like, okay. And it, you know, it was reviewed well. I started watching it. 
this guy was involved with like Conan the Barbarian and um, what was the other one? Conan the Barbarian was a big apocalypse now. Mm -hmm. And he was kind of in the same film class. I mean, he wasn't necessarily in their classes, but he was with the up and coming filmmakers like Steven Spielberg and George Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola and Martin Scorsese. So he was kind of like a, he was a little bit of mentor in some degree with them, right? Yeah. And, um, they all, and they are interviewed in this documentary and they all have fascinating stories to tell about this guy. Mm -hmm. Um, he's, he, he refers to himself, John Milius referred to himself as a Zen anarchist filmmaker. <laughs> so take that for what it's worth. Uh, sure. he, he was a very interesting person, and um, I can't believe I went this long loving film and not knowing about him. So if you are interested in film, I would definitely recommend this documentary because you also get to not only learn about him, but you get to see Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. And you know all these people get really excited talking about the early days of their careers. So... Fun stuff. Well, I'm a. It's interesting you brought that up because good friend of the show, good friend of the Film Society, uh, our friend Brad actually brought up this exact same documentary to me okay. just the other day, as he had had seen it and was raving about it as well, saying it's just really fascinating to learn more about this guy that kind of flew under the radar yeah. for so many people, but was really influential in a lot of the big movies we really appreciate these days. Right. Chris, okay, I've got a very weird recommendation. And it's kind of, let me just set it up for you real quick before we close out the show. Okay. Um, I'm in the middle of watching two movies. Oh, man. Two, and they're, they must be very long. And they're they're both long. Okay. Uh, one longer than the other. And the, the first one is one that is not a fly under the radar movie. It's one just about everybody in the world except for me had seen. So you're playing catch up. So I'm playing catch up. Okay. And I'm not necessarily even saying it's a recommendation, but I'm just kind of letting you know where I am with <laughs> this so far. You're just checking it off your bucket list? I am. Okay. And the other one is one that we did review on the show a few months ago, but I'm just kind of refreshing it because uh, I'm watching it with a different set of eyes and with my spouse hmm. watching both of these films and watching – our reverse reactions to the two films. One <laughs> film is a one I wanted her to see okay. with me. We got about halfway through and maybe we'll pick it up again later. The other one she wanted me to see. I, I can't wait to know what through. these two are. I'm the, really could not get more opposite with the films. Okay. So I'm having her watch the great beauty with me. Okay. Her reaction has not been overly positive up to this point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And it is a longer film. It's well, not as long as her film. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's, it's been a challenging film and I'm just, it is one of those where I can understand after only watching the first 45 to 50 minutes, it's not the most rewarding film in the world. You have to kind of see it to its end to really be able to look back and appreciate it more. Sure. So it is kind of telling you that sometimes movies do need to be seen in one setting. I think breaking up this film into multiple settings is not working as well. And I would say that too, the scope of that, seeing it in the theater probably means a little bit more than watching it. At I home. agree as well. So it's a whole different experience sure. watching it at home in segments than it was in the nice dark movie theater for a two and a half hour block of time. Gotcha. The other film that I'm watching. Still that Magnolias. Never... No, no. Um, Fried green tomatoes. Same part of the country, though. Um, It's uh, Gone with the Wind. Uh, Never seen Gone with the Wind. uh, Yes. Never seen it. I am three quarters of the way through. I'm having to watch it. You've already watched four hours. (laughs) I'm having to watch it like in 45 minute blocks because I'm not enjoying it so far. I have seen that movie, but I've seen it once. I'm not 
quite getting the appeal yet, unless the last 45, 50 minutes just completely <laughs> blow me away. They're jetpacks. Uh, there are jetpacks. Are there really? Yeah. At the very end, they go in the future? <laughs> Sadly, they're not. <laughs> the future Scarlet and Red come back to the past and Absolutely. say, no, don't do this. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, I think it's more, so, of a, it's more of a document of time. I look at it that way, and it's interesting from that perspective, but I'm having a really hard time getting my head around it. Now, again, yeah. maybe that's another situation where if I were sitting in a classic movie theater uh, back yeah. in the day with the official intermission in the middle right. and all that, instead of watching the recorded TCM version, yeah. maybe I would feel better about it. I don't know. But anyway, yeah. like I said, it's a very odd recommendation. I guess my recommendation is more about really thinking about the movie you're watching and is this a movie that's going to play well on my TV set on a start and stop basis or is this one where I really need to sit my butt in a theater seat <laughs> with a bag of popcorn and enjoy it for the whole duration in right. one setting. Hmm. Very interesting take on movies. It's really made me think a little bit more about the way I watch movies by going through these two experiences so far. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, I told you it was an interesting recommendation. Yeah. I don't have a new movie that's a under the radar movie to share in the last couple of weeks, so I thought I'd just at least explain those two situations I'm I, going through. I think a reboot of Gone with the Wind is due. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I think we need to have. I think Michael Bay needs hey. to do Gone with the Wind. That'd be interesting. <laughs> Actually, you know what? It would be kind of something fun with that. So, yes. all Lots right, of exploding cotton fields. <laughs> Okay, well, I said it was going to be an abbreviated one. Of course, we always go a little longer than we expect, but that's fine. We did a knockout our episode. Thank you all for listening to this EP version of today's episode of Foot Candle Films. To learn more about the Mesh Network that we're playing on right now, you can go to themesh.tv, check out past episodes, or um, post a note for us on the Contact Us page and let us know if you got questions or thoughts or reactions to what we said. Uh, you can go to footcandle.org. To find out, I'm taking your credit. You're, you normally do this, don't you, Chris? Yes. Go, you do it. You talk about the website. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I, I totally jumped over. Yeah, yeah. Footcandle.org, I mean, you know, it's where we not only keep up about our film society, but we do post events coming in the area, and we let you kind of we'll also post things like our podcast that you're listening to now. But True. you can listen to back episodes and everything. So it's yet another way to check us out and keep up and with what we're doing. let's tell everybody about our letterbox account, too. There again, we mentioned... Starting with the last episode, we're going to start giving actual star ratings because a lot of times we try to find the good in every film, but we try to, you know, weigh things out, but you may not know how we ultimately feel about it. So we are giving ratings on Letterboxd and they do the whole five star rating system. So in addition to our comments on the show, we'll give you a hard and fast, you know, rating of how we felt about the movie. So my account's Chris Fry. I'm on Letterboxd. Alan is... Oddly enough, Alan Jackson. Yeah, I got lucky enough with that too. So we're uh, we both got the first first. No, yours is what again? Uh, just Chris Fry. Yes, yeah, so we got yeah. lucky with our first and last names. How cool is that? We uh, we grabbed the Twitter land rush quick and early on this side of things. Right. So very nice. Definitely check us out on Letterbox. Like you said, that's a great site to go see, or at the FootKindle.org website. So with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Thanks so much to everybody listening. Thanks, Chris. Have a good weekend. All right. You too, man. All right. Well, take care. We'll see you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh. 
an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.